0: Source of true delight my unseenado Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary, our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. my Good morning. It's a privilege to preach this first Sunday in the new year here at Fort Worth Presbyterian Church. I'll ask you if you have your Bibles to open them up to Judges. We're going to look at chapter 2 to start with and kind of get some context. Let me give you a heads up on what we're going to do this morning. This, we're, I'm going to preach on a verse that you've probably maybe never read, and uh, you've probably never heard a sermon preached on this verse before. This, there's a guy's name is Shamgar. Shamgar is one of my top ten characters in the Bible. And I've been kind of captivated by Shamgar for about ten years now, and the opportunity came to preach on him. And so it's been, this is a passage that's really been uh, something that's ministered to my heart. I hope it will minister to yours as well. Well, we're going to look at Judges 2, verses 11 through 21, and really we're just looking at these verses for context. It's hard when you have a guest preacher who comes in and preaches from a passage you've not read in some time, or maybe never, and to figure out where you are. So we're going to try to get our context, and then we're going to look at uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 31. But um, anyway, I am the RUF campus minister at TCU, the Rose Bowl champions, and um, I'm very... Very happy about that. The uh, last night I was, I'm in this uh, bowl pick'em pool with a bunch of RUF uh, campus ministers from all across the nation, and everybody waits. Uh, there's 35 or 36 teams and you know that your most confident bowl pick, you put 35 by that. Your least confident, you put one by that. Of course, I put 35 by TCU going over Wisconsin because I, I knew that we were going to win and also knew that it would be much funner game or more fun game if uh, I had a lot more on it. Anyway, after the game was over, I went and looked at all the other campus ministers and what they picked. And the highest anybody else put was nine. And I have two friends that are pretty close. And the reason that they picked TCU, I think, is because they knew I was going to look and see who they picked. And everybody else picked Wisconsin. And so I really want to say something to those guys later this week about that. point of that is, um, I got a text message yesterday from one of my students that said, uh, this is the greatest day of my life. And um, it made me think about... Uh, a day somewhat like this one, or yesterday, a year ago. There were four guys that I've been ministering to for some time. I love these guys dearly, and they had tickets to the Fiesta Bowl, and they, I think they had gone ahead and bought the tickets, but then one of the guys said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. I got the hookup. So they, he said, don't worry about that. I got the hookup. Just, just trust me on this. So they all trusted to this guy on these particular tickets, and and um, they they had originally were buying tickets that were going to be like around the fifty yard line in the TCU section. They were going to be great tickets, but this guy had the hookup, of course. So they trusted him, and he, his tickets were in the nosebleed section, in the middle of Boise State. And so, when they got to the game, and they had there was their behavior was not uh, perfect. And um, so anyway, when they got the game was over, all I heard for weeks, really for months was these guys complaining about how miserable this experience was, this Fiesta Bowl, sitting in the wrong place, sitting with the wrong people, and the wrong outcome to the game. Now, all that changed within a year. You know, now it's the greatest day of my life. We have this this Rose Bowl win behind us, and so the heavens have parted. Everything looks perfect ahead. How can things go wrong? And it's a great way to start out a new year. I think the new year makes us think about how we all want something new, you know. Uh, out with the old and in with the new, we want, we want something new, we want something to, to, to fill us up, we want something to make us whole, we're hoping that this will be the year. Several people posted uh, remarks on Facebook yesterday that said, I hope that yesterday was the worst day of your year. You know, it's just kind of a cheesy joke. And I just thought, you know, because we're hoping for something better, we're hoping for bigger and better and newer. And really, if if we're honest, we all think we do need something new. We all do think we need something more. We want a change. We want something to come into our lives. or We want to change something about our lives. And we want to be happy. We want to be whole. We want to be content. But I think this passage this morning tells us that we really don't need anything new. We need, we need something that's been here quite a long time. So listen as I read from God's Word. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm." As the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, And He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And He said, Because this people has transgressed My covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Kind of a summary is basically, uh, Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and Israel had no king. They had a king, his name was God, the creator of heaven and earth, and yet they did not submit to him as king. They ran after all of these other gods, and there's this terrible cycle of sin, and God saves them by judge, and then they go and do worse and more grievous sin. Then God saves them again. And we pick up in chapter 3 with one of the judges named Shamgar. And this is the verse we're going to give our attention to this morning. Judges 3, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's ask the Lord to open up this passage to us this morning. Our Father, you are our good shepherd, and we are sheep. And we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love or the God that we say that we love. We're prone to come up with all kind of great uh, strategies and new ideas and um, new pursuits that are going to fill us up. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would slow us down, that you would... Fix our eyes upon Jesus that we might see uh, how great and marvelous you are and that we might be overwhelmed by the goodness of the gospel. So, Lord, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past uh, May, I was we were getting ready for our annual trek to Camp Greystone in uh, Tuxedo, North Carolina, and we were about... I guess, a week out from leaving, and I got a phone call from a friend, um, and I had been following basically some of the the goings and doings in this this friend's family for some time. This friend of mine had a daughter who was a high schooler and uh, was not really flourishing. Life was hard, and I'd been praying for her for some time, and any rate, she basically called and was in a crisis and didn't know what to do about this particular situation and said it had gotten out of control. And they tried everything. They tried a psychiatrist and psychologist and therapy and asked if I would be willing to meet with her daughter. And so, of course, I said, well, you know, I really don't have hardly any time, and we're really about to leave, but here's what I do have, and I'll be glad to meet with your daughter if you would like for her to meet with me. And so, anyway... We set up a time and she came over to TCU and I met her um, out at the car and it was a very awkward walk back to my office with this girl I didn't know. I mean, I I knew her family. I knew her mom and dad, but I didn't know her. And um, I looked at her and I said, you know, obviously this is really awkward, so let's just go ahead and kind of acknowledge the awkwardness. I don't really know you, and you don't really know me, and your mom, I guess you feel like something's wrong with you, and so you've been dropped off here, and I guess the thought is that I'm going to fix you, and I just want to go ahead and just lay it out on the table that I'm not going to fix you, I don't think you're like a car that needs fixing, Um, and I'm certainly not a good fixer, because my life's a mess, and so, um, you know, if this is the best strategy, there's not one, but I would love to, you know, if you want to come and talk to me, then that's great. Um, if you want to talk about the Rangers, we can do that. If you want to talk about the Mavs, you want to talk about your favorite color, we can do that for about 30 minutes. We can call your mom back to her to come pick you up. Or um, if you want to talk to me about what's going on in your life, I'd be glad to listen to you. And so we sat in the office and uh, it was kind of the standoffish kind of high school stuff going on, you know, the text messaging and, you know, kind of not eye contact and all those kind of things, and, you know, the profanity started to flow, and that was fine. I said, if you want to use profanity, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. And um, finally she said, uh, and I said, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on with your life. And she said, well, you know, I guess, I guess there's something wrong with me. I guess I, need to, I guess I need to get fixed or something like that. And I said, well, well tell me about it. And um, so she said, well, you know, there's, I, I like to drink. And I like to drink to get drunk. And I only drink to get drunk. And, of course, she's not of age, and drinking to get drunk is never good, no matter how old you are. And I said, well, okay, well, why do you do that? And she said, well, because it's fun. You like it. I like it. It's fun. So why would you want to change that? You know, if you like it and it's fun, why would you want to change it? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm supposed to, I guess. Okay, what else do you like to do? Well, I like to do drugs. Well, what kind of drugs? You know, we've, we kind of talked about several different kinds of drugs that she preferred to do and to use. And I said, well, why do you do drugs? Because it's fun. makes me feel good. Okay. Well, do you like doing drugs? I, I like doing drugs. Well, why would you want to change doing drugs? If drugs are fun and you're enjoying it, you know, why would you want to do that? Why, you know, I don't, I don't know. So then what else do you like? And she said, well, I like boys. And, you know, she gave some... Uh, some context to help put clothing on what that meant. And, um, and I asked her, why, why was she into boys? And of course, for the very same reason, she was into drinking and drugs, because it was fun. And she liked the instant gratification that all these things brought. It was kind of a pay-at-the-pump approach to life. You know, she focused on these three things that could tap into all the needs that she felt inside. And um, she was happy. And so I said, okay. And really, at the end of that, we... We didn't get anywhere from there other than her just telling me that she needed to change and then telling me all the things that she didn't want to change and how happy she was and how satisfied she was. And I said, thanks for meeting with me and talking with me. And if you want to get together again, that'd be great. Um, and so I walked her back to the car. And um, the, uh, later, that, later this past summer, I got a text message that said, I really want to talk to you. I really want to meet with you. And so when I got back in the fall, we sat down again and same, same kind of drill, came to the office. And I asked her how things were going. And she said, in a very, very pointed language, um, that her life was a mess. was a complete and utter mess. And she was extremely depressed. And she said that that nothing was fun. That she wasn't finding anything to be fun anymore. That she was still pouring herself into all these, these things, the boys and the drugs and the drink. But none of those things were fun and satisfying And uh, she said, and I said, well, what's wrong? I mean, what's the problem? And she said, these were her, her problems. She says, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, and people don't like me. I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, and people don't like me, or I don't have enough friends. And I thought, wow, like that is the most, that was just amazing honesty. This is my second time meeting with this girl, and she throws her whole life out on the table and tells me that the deep, uh, problems of her heart and I thought you know it's okay well I guess on the one hand you want to think wow you know you're doing all these terrible things and you just want to maybe take this kind high and mighty look toward her and say wow you know I can't believe what a terrible sinner you are no wonder you're like this and then I thought I can't do that because I'm just like her And every single one of us in this room, maybe we're not into those things, but we're just like her. I mean, think about it this way. How many of us in this room could honestly say that we wouldn't do anything and everything in order to be accepted, in order to be pretty enough, in order to be successful, in order to be smart enough, and in order to have great relationships, fulfilling relationships, in order to be liked Enough. We do anything. That's part of our goal, probably, for the new year is to be accepted and to be successful and to have more fulfilling relationships. We're always looking for something else, something more to satisfy us. It's the story of our lives. We know the desperation of our hearts and desperate times require desperate measures. We're looking for something to save us, we're looking for something to rescue us, we're looking for something to change our lives. And we do need rescue. And we do need saving, and we do need changing. But the things that promise to save us, just like they promised to save Israel, only enslave us. It's this terrible cycle that we run to these idols because these idols promise to save us. And then those idols only enslave us. And then we've got to figure out what to do about the slavery we've got. So we run back to the very same idols. It's crazy. We run back to the very same idols that enslaved us to start with, and under which we are enslaved right now, and we try to get them to save us. And it's this terrible cycle where we can't get out from under it because we're always looking for love. We're always looking for salvation. We're always looking for rescue in all the wrong places. And what I want us to remember this morning is something simple. It's a simple truth that we need to start out because really life isn't as complex as we make it to be. It's something simple we need to remember as we start this new year. And it's that Jesus is enough. That only Jesus is enough. It's that Jesus alone saves. It's that all we need is Jesus. And I want us to look at this under two points. And the first one is that we do need a Savior. We need a Savior. We've got to be honest about our lives. It, and I'm not. you may say, well, I'm a Christian. But you still need a Savior because saving for Christians is a continual process. We're always being saved. Until Jesus comes back, we will not have arrived. We're not glorified. We may be justified, but we're not glorified. We need a Savior. There's only one other verse in the Bible aside from Judges three thirty-one where Shamgar's name is mentioned. And so it's in Judges five six. If you want to turn there, that's great. But I'm just going to read this because it gives us some context. It says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased. To be until I arose. Well, what's going on there? Well, basically, what we're finding out in this verse is it's giving us a context for what was going on when Shamgar was around. It's saying this: that the Israel was living under the oppression of the Philistines. And they were the Philistines were known for their strength, for their military expertise, for their power for their ruthlessness, for their oppressiveness. They weren't friendly. They were, not, they, were, they were the big bully that your mom and dad would never have wanted you to go play with. They were the bad people. And they were bad to the Israelites. And it was miserable to live under their oppression. In In the passage we just read, or that verse says, that basically Israel couldn't travel down the main roads. They couldn't travel down I-20 and I-30. They couldn't even travel down Granbury. They had to stick to the very side roads, the secret roads. They had to go through the woods. The reason they had to do that was because if they came across the Philistines, there was a good chance something bad was going to happen. They were going to be robbed or they were going to be mugged or they were going to be abused or they were going to be raped or they were going to be murdered. These were real things, real fears that existed in the lives of the Israelites. It was not a good situation. I guess best case scenario was that they were going to be taxed, taxed beyond a reasonable uh, amount, and so it also says not only were they traveling the secret roads, the how the, the the through the woods, but that the villagers ceased. What does that mean? It means that they couldn't go outside. It meant they had to bunker down. It was, And it was that things were so bad that they had to kind of board up the windows. They had to hunker down. They had to make it like no one was home because they were afraid that the Philistines were going to come pillage and burn the homes where they lived. Their kids kids couldn't go out and play on the seesaw or go swing swing on the rope swing. There was none of those kind of things that were happening in their life. It was a miserable kind of lifestyle. The quality of their life was defined by fear and hiding and helplessness. They didn't have any warriors, they didn't have any weapons, they didn't have any way of rescue, any way of escape, they had no protection, they were hopeless, they were living life on the edge of destruction. They never knew when would be their last day. And worst of all, there was no way out. Now, why was this? Why were things so bad in Israel? Well, this verse 31 doesn't explicitly tell us, but that's when we read the context to start with. It's because of this cycle of life that Israel was was embracing, this cycle. This, these idols that promised to save them were enslaving them, and then these, this slavery that they were under, because of these idols, they had to get out from under it. So they looked to these idols or other idols in order to save them, and there was this ridiculous cycle of life that they were undergoing. And the implication of the book of Judges, that's really not an implication, it's explicitly stated from from the first page of Judges to the last, is that Israel kept doing evil in God's sight. They kept turning away from God. They kept going the other way. They kept leaving God and pursuing other gods and other idols. These other gods and other idols that promised to satisfy them, that promised to fulfill them. And so God gave them over to these idols that they desired. You see, the scariest thing with God is this. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. If if you want life without God, then God very well may give you life without Him. If you wish, if you desire life without God, then you very well may find yourself in a situation where that's what you have. You have life without God. He may give you the idols that you so desperately desire. Now, Some of you may say, well... I'm not, maybe maybe the crazy sins aren't your thing. Maybe you're not, you know, into the drugs and sex and rock and roll, and that's not your deal. Um, so you're thinking, I don't know if this really applies to me, but, you know, I, obviously I want God. My life is all about God. My life is all about church. My life is all about Bible study. My life is all about spiritual disciplines. But you have to think about your life a little bit. Is your life about God, or is it about the things that you want to do so that God will accept you. Is your life about God or is it about the Father or is it about the things the Father can give you? I think for a lot of us that are Christians, we don't really so much want the Father, do we? We want our Father's things. We want our Father to give us His praise. We want our Father to give us His acceptance, His accolade. We want Him to say, wow, you're awesome. And we don't necessarily want Him, but we want His things. And that's what Israel wanted too. They didn't want their father, they didn't want their God. They wanted all the things that he had created. And now they found themselves in a bad situation. Their lives were defined by shame and guilt and sin, fear, hiding, defenselessness, hopelessness, and all these things. Why did they do it? Why did they turn from God? Well, it's the same reason that we do because they were searching for something more, something bigger, something better, something instant. We never have enough. And they were deeply disappointed. I was at the airport. We went to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, in Monks Corner, South Carolina, for, to celebrate Christmas with our families. And we were flying back into DFW this past week. And there was a little girl who was standing over with her mom. And I felt for her because I was traveling with my family. And although I have children that can carry their own bags and kind of go their own way, it still wasn't easy. This poor mom had a stroller, and then she had this, this little toddler... Uh, On, beside her, the baby was in the stroller, a little toddler on the floor, and the toddler was not happy, to say the least. I'm talking screaming bloody murder. Like, I hate you! I wanted to go to the party! You know, and I was like, everybody in the airport, like baggage claim could hear, I hate you! I wanted to, you know, and it would just not quit. And I just thought, wow. And it was, and the mom, I was looked over there, I was like, who's the parent of this child? And the mom was kind of partly ignoring, and I thought, how can you ignore because your child is, Sadistic right now. And so, and I realized that this was not going well. This was not going well at all. And I thought, how long will this continue? And um, so the mom finally kind of grabbed the, you know, when you get grabbed right here by your parent, you know that's a bad situation. She grabbed her daughter under the arm and showed her toward the bathroom. And the daughter was not going in the bathroom. And she gave her the eye that said, You're going in the bathroom. And I'm going to kill you. You know, and get in there. And I just thought, I was like, Lord, please help her not to kill her daughter. So she wanted to go to the party. You know, she wanted to go to the party and she didn't get to go to the party. And um, I kind of feel like that's how we are in life. You know, we want to go to the party. We hope this year's the party. We hope that we're going to get the party. We hope whatever it is, whatever our party is, we want it. And we've got a strategy, we've got a way to get there. And when we don't get to go, we're miserable. And Israel's miserable because they, they tried to go to the party. They, I guess in a sense they made it to the party, and yet the party wasn't as fun as it promised to be. It enslaved them. It made them more and more miserable. And so now they're hopeless and they're helpless and they need a way out. They need to be saved and we need to be saved. How many, let me ask you this. How many truly happy people do you know? If you were to ask somebody, are you really, really happy? Are you really content? Are you truly fulfilled? You know, if, if you peeled them like an onion and you got down to the very center of who that person was, how many people do you think could honestly say, I'm, I'm happy. I'm joyful. I am, I am a joy filled person. I am extremely content. I'm extremely happy. And I think some of us may experience seasons of that, but overall, most of us are not defined by that. We're 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 defined more by anxiety and worry, and frustration, and and emptiness, and loneliness, and discontent. We're always we're desperately trying not to look desperate. Ed Welch says this. He says, "Isn't it amazing how one of the most highly developed, healthiest, wealthiest, and most intellectually sophisticated societies in the world consistently fails to produce people who are happy?" And I think that's so sad because I think in many ways that summarizes my life because I'm always hoping for something else. I'm always hoping for something more. And I'm always disappointed by what I get. You see, we never have enough success. We never have enough friends. We never have enough money. We never have enough affirmation. We're just like Israel. We need a Savior. We might be shiny, happy people on the outside, but when you peel us like an onion and you get down to the inside, what you find is something that's not all that together. So we need a Savior. And God gives us a Savior. But before I tell you the second point, I want to kind of, I guess, tell a story that may help us understand it. And some of you may not think this way, but this is how I think. One of my favorite movies of the 80s was Karate Kid. The new Karate Kid I did not even acknowledge as a movie. Um, I have not seen it, but I'm sure it's not good. Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi uh, was this very wise... Uh, Sensei and Daniel's son was a boy from New Jersey who moved to California who was being bullied by all of the uh, karate experts at the Cobra Kai Dojo. And, um, <laughs> Mr., uh, and and Daniel's son was was being beaten up quite often, and so he came to Mr. Miyagi and said, Mr. Mi- Miyagi, will you please teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi said, ah! And so uh, Daniel, so Mr. Miyagi said, come on. So he came over to Mr. Miyagi's house, and he gave him a... Uh, uh, this, like, wax the car deal, you know, and so he washes all the cars, and he gets these sponges, and he's saying, you know, wax the car, you know, wax on, wax off. And he's showing him wax on, wax off, this whole you know, parking lot full of cars. And so, Daniel's son does it, he's beat to death after it's over, It says, come back the next day, you know, sand the floor. So now he's, he's got this like, more woodwork than you've ever seen in all of your life, and Daniel's son's on hands and knees with sanders, and he's, you know, he's sand the floor. And then, after he finishes sand the floor, it's time to paint the fence. So he's painting the fence, and One day, finally, Mr. Miyagi comes back and he's got his fishing poles and Daniel's son's been there all day long trying to, you know, make Mr. Miyagi's property look amazing. And Daniel's son is very angry. And, you know, he's like, what is up with that? You've been fishing and I've been your slave here all day. I've been painting the house. You promised you were going to teach me karate and you have not taught me a single thing. And he is, I'm done with this, man. I'm done with this. And uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, hi, Daniel's son. You know, and so he says, you know, Wax the car, you know, and he starts throwing all these karate moves on him. And, but long story short, Danielson realizes that he actually knows karate, but he didn't even know he knew karate, but he does know karate. Mr. Miyagi had a unique way of teaching him karate. It was by teaching him how to do things and getting a lot of things done for himself all at the same time. <laughs> but anyway, God doesn't do that to us. But, but I do think that some of you are like, well, what does it have to do with anything? What well, has a lot to do with it, I think. And here's the point. Verse 31, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines. We need a savior. And the second point is this. God gives us Shamgar. Now, you've got to understand, Shamgar, in many ways, was kind of like to Israel. Shamgar was to Israel what Mr. Miyagi's method of karate were to Daniel's son. This is bizarre. God gives them a farmer. Right? They're being oppressed. They can't go outside. They can't travel the main roads. Their life is miserable. So God's got a great idea. I'll give you a farmer. And guess what? He's got a rake. He brings a rake. You know, He's got this ox goad. And ox goad was a unique instrument. It was eight feet long. It was six inches around at the large end. And on the large end, it had this, um, this spade that was used for cleaning out the plow. And then on the small end, it had this little prod that was used to prod the oxen. And so God gives Israel. They're crying. They're miserable. They're under oppression. They're dying. They're being raped. They're being murdered. They're being mugged. And so God gives them a farmer, a farmer with a rake, a farmer with an ox and this is their strong deliverer. Now, see, we we you know we're so used to reading Bible stories where the Red Seas get parted and where you know Jesus feeds the five thousand and where people walk on water. These things are just you know we just they're like. We don't even stop to think about it. But these were real people like you and me. These were real human beings whose lives were really miserable and who really needed help and really needed a Savior. And God gave them a farmer. Imagine how angry you would have been if it were you. And some of us are probably embarrassed. I mean, a lot of us are embarrassed by the Bible. We're embarrassed by stories like this. You can't come up with something better than this. We're going to read about this is embarrassing. This is why I don't want to tell people about Jesus, because this is embarrassing. God saves people like this. Come on. We've got to come up with something that's more intelligent than this, something that's more sophisticated. This is ridiculous. And yet that's what God does. It says, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. Now, if you're kind of a man's type man, and maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but that's how I think about it. I'm like, that is the man. You know, the brother had a rake. He took down 600 Philistines with a rake. I could watch a movie about that. That, I really hope they make a movie of Shamgar, because I'll be the first one to see it. And, um... You know, it's like I was telling my son Simeon about it, and Simeon is just captivated. This brother had an ox goat and just went to town, and he delivered, and it says, and he also saved Israel. God saved Israel with Shamgar, a farmer, with a rake. Now, what's the point? What's the point? You know the point. What's the point? God alone saves. That's the point. God alone saves. No one else saves. God alone saves. Matthew Henry says it this way. I love this. He says, God can make those eminently serviceable to His glory and His is good whose extraction, education, employment are very mean and obscure. He that has the residue of the Spirit could when He pleased make plowmen, judges and generals and fishermen apostles. It is no matter how weak the weapon is if God's direct... If, if, is if God directs and strengthens the arm. An ox God, when God pleases, shall do more than Goliath's sword. And sometimes he chooses to work by such unlikely means that the excellency of the power may appear to be of God. And that's the whole point. The whole point of Shamgar is is that we need a Savior. God gives us Shamgar, but really what God gives us is the Savior that we need. Now, we may say, like my son Simeon, that's a neat story, that's awesome, we'd love to see the movie of that. Um, God's so good. He was so patient with the Israelites. It's kind of this warm, fuzzy feeling we get on the inside. But we kind of say to ourselves, but so what? That does not help us. I mean, they were Israel. You know, they were living in shacks and huts, and they didn't have clothes. They didn't have all the problems we've got. Our life's a lot more complex, a lot more complicated. We need something a lot more sophisticated than they need. And I really think what God says to us is, no, you don't. You don't need something more sophisticated. You don't need something more complex. Your life is really not that much more complicated than theirs was. A good friend of mine, I think I probably told you before, Libby Miller, who is one of the people, the directors of Camp Greystone, says that the Bible is one story about Jesus, but the story is broken up into three parts. The story basically goes something like this. The Old Testament says, someone is coming, someone is coming. The New Testament says, someone is here, someone is here. And the end of the, the, end of the Bible says, someone is coming again. And that's really what this passage teaches us in verse Verse 31 teaches us that someone is coming. You see, every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. And this story is the same. This story told Israel that someone is coming. Uh, Shamgar was the one that God sent to deliver them from their circumstances. But there was one very much like Shamgar. A nobody from nowhere who was coming to save them from their sin. I mean, think about it. We just celebrated. We just celebrated that the God of our religion, that the one that we give all of our allegiance to was born to a nobody from nowhere. He was born to a teenage peasant girl who didn't have a, a great place. You know, there wasn't this great birthing room or, or hospital where she was able to, to go through labor. But he was born amongst a much of smelly cattle. He was rejected by his own people. when he, he was very insignificant when he finally was a preacher and came back home and was hoping to be warmly received by all of his you know, home people. They hated him. They actually wanted to kill him. Uh, He was betrayed by his closest companions. He was denied multiple times at the most critical point in his life. And he was rejected by all the rest that didn't betray him. He was mocked, he was murdered, and he was abandoned. And his name was Jesus. And Shamgar points us to Jesus because Shamgar saved Israel from their circumstances. But he was a type of Christ, a type of Jesus who came to save us fully and finally from our sin. You see, there's no other name under heaven from which we will be saved other than Jesus. Jesus alone saves. So what's the point? There's only one gospel. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. We've got, to be, we've got to stop being embarrassed by the Bible because the Bible is the only thing that tells us the truth about how we can be saved, about how we can be who God has created us to be, that Jesus alone saves us from our sin. All we need is Jesus. When I was in Greenville, my mom is my mom is probably. I mean, I guess if you got graded on being like a, being a homemaker, my mom they don't have a category for her because she's just off the charts. I mean, my mom—it's like you do not want to compete with my mom because she's she's just. I mean, I don't. You would not know why I'm from her family, but because I have nothing in common in that area. But my mom, I mean, I, my dad walked me around the house. He showed me all the trinkets and things my mom put up for Christmas. I mean. Never saw so many nativity scenes or so many beautiful like, uh, smokers or, and angels. and I mean, it was every bookshelf, every table, every case. I mean, we, my, my dad said it took quite some time. And I, I was thinking, man, I didn't understand that because I was really only thinking about the bowl games and things like and the food and things like that. But my mom was think, thinking more about like, making the house a very warm, beautiful place for her family at Christmas. So one of our family friends, Miss Betty Lou, came over with her daughter Betsy. And um, they took a tour of the house. And it was just like every station they, uh, that my mom had created. I mean, Miss Buddy Lou did not miss a thing in the house. And I, that made me nervous that there are people like that who can come into your house and see every single thing. Miss Betty Lou saw it all. And they made a to-do over every little thing that I was, I just thought, well, I didn't get that. But anyway, um, and it was just like we stopped. And, she, and so when it was all over with, she just, you know, Rebecca, 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 this is the most amazing home. You know, and she was so... Uh, I guess appreciative and complimentary. And then like within the hour, Miss Betty Lou calls back on the phone and says, I'm just so sorry, you know, that I didn't get the time to really take it all in. And I want to come back, you know, and I want to come back and look again after Christmas. And I just thought, that's unique. But the thing that I <laughs> but the thing that I, I kind of thought about that and how that how I thought that kind of applies to my life and how that relates in some sense to this passage is is that that's what we want God to do for us. That's our plan for the new year, isn't it? We're gonna finally get our life together. We're gonna to decorate all the shelves of our life. We're gonna make them it's gonna be the finest, the finest of the fine is gonna be what decorates our life. We've got all these, I mean, we're gonna lose so much weight, and we're gonna read our Bible so much more, and we're gonna go to get a church so much more, and we're gonna have such a better marriage. And we're gonna make we're gonna get a promotion, and we're gonna work work so much harder at our job, and, and we're gonna have so many more friends in our yard. We're gonna win yard of the month. I mean, after all those people that won yard of the month, I mean, a lot of the times last year, I mean, it really wasn't that good of a yard. And if we just had a little more time, we could have done it too. And this year, we're gonna do it all. We're are this year finally we're gonna get the respect that we deserve. This is gonna be our year. And our hope and prayer is is that God will come by and that He will take a look at all the things that decorate the shelves of our life, and that He will call us on the phone an hour later and say, I need to come back by, because I didn't get to take it all in, because there was so much there. It was amazing. And my friends, if that's how we approach the new year, we will be miserable. Our lives will be filled with grief, because we don't need God to come by our lives and to take a look at all the things that we have to offer Him but we need to look to Him and we need to take hold of the thing that He has to offer us. Jesus alone saves us. We need a Savior. God gives us something much greater than Shamgar. He gives us His only Son. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are so good. And Lord, I pray that You would keep us not from developing good habits and from from doing things that would be healthy and and spiritual disciplines for our lives, but Lord, help us not... Uh, to pursue things that are not of you. Lord, help us to pursue the Father and not the things of our Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us to rest in Jesus alone because he is our good shepherd and our Savior. We ask all these things in his name. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. foray break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away won't you chase my fears away